Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Our topic today is yoga, belonging, and resilience. How can the inherent wholeness and belonging of yoga help us to bounce back when we meet the challenges of life? We'll be discussing how the many practices of yoga help us to build resilience while having compassion for ourselves and others. I'm joined today by professor, yoga therapist, and yoga therapy teacher, Amy Wheeler. Amy's life purpose has been to change the way people view mental and physical health by educating them about the interrelationship between yoga, psychology, and public health. Amy has a PhD in educational psychology and her BA and MA in health promotion. She has studied yoga and yoga therapy in India, Europe, and the United States. During the past 25 years, Amy studied extensively in the Krishnamacharya tradition. Amy served as the uh, past president of the board of directors of the International Association of Yoga Therapists, which is IAYT. Additionally, she helped to develop and define standards for Ayurvedic yoga therapists in the National Ayurvedic Medical Association, or NAMA. Amy has also conducted many yoga research studies at California State University, San Bernardino, where she has been an active professor of kinesiology for 25 years. Amy teaches many courses pertaining to yoga, psychology, sociology, and philosophy of sport and exercise. You can follow her on uh, Facebook, I believe it is, is this correct, Amy, at Amy Wheeler Yoga, and you're also on Instagram, and I didn't write down what your tag is on Instagram. Optimal state, and thank you for having me, Laurel. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, it's just delightful to uh, to have you and to talk about these, um, I think, really relevant topics for right where we are right now. So before we dive in to that dialogue about yoga, belonging, and resilience, let's begin by having a yoga moment where we just bring ourselves fully present and alive and awake in this moment right here. Oh. So let's begin right where we are, whatever we're doing, just bringing our attention to our body in space, feeling our body and the surfaces 
that support it, whether we're perhaps sitting or standing or walking, just feeling the surfaces that support our body and the parts of our body that are touching those surfaces. And then bringing our attention to the breath. It's a wonderful tool. It's always with us. It can help us bring our attention right into this moment. And let's notice as we take the fully conscious breath. Notice on the inhale and the exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the parts of our body that are moving as we breathe. Perhaps our chest and belly are expanding. And also feel the movement on the exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, the warm air flowing out. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from the Yoga Hour founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Spiritual practice cannot make us more spiritual. It cannot improve our essential self. At the core of our being, we are already divine. We are perfect whole, and complete. Our practice merely clears away any obstructions to perceiving the truth of what we are. Once we realize that, what was once spiritual practice becomes spiritually conscious living. Our practice merely clears away any obstructions to perceiving the truth of what we are. Once we realize that, what was once spiritual practice becomes spiritually conscious living. Oh. So once again, Amy Wheeler. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour podcast. And I should have mentioned in the introduction, there are three prior programs with you that people can find if they search in the Yoga Hour archive at uh, Unity Online Radio. They can also um, do a search on if you're in a podcast uh, app, you can search there for Amy Wheeler. And uh, you and I have had uh, three other conversations on this show over the last uh, few years. So I'm so delighted you could join me today to talk about yoga, belonging and resilience. I've been really thinking about these topics, belonging and resilience, since they seem just really relevant to me right now, as the pandemic restrictions are just beginning to ease. And as more and more people get vaccinated, as I have been, and you were just saying as you have been, and people are able to resume activities they haven't participated in for a really long time. It's really had me thinking about belonging and about where I belong. So when I ask you, what do you think about when you think about belonging? What, what comes to your mind? Well, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about even the freedom to feel safe going to the grocery store and how euphoric <laughs> it felt after being vaccinated to just be like, oh, I can come out again and feel safe. And right. and I just at that moment in the grocery store felt 
a, a oneness with humanity. You you see so many people walking around with their masks and, you know, all of us going through these struggles together. And to come out of my house and really see people all on the planet, you know, hopefully working together to to stop the spread of the virus is that's a big you know big beautiful thing and so that that's what came to mind when you were speaking is that expansion that I have been feeling lately but you know in contemplating the question cuz you sent me these questions yesterday you know belonging to me is that I can be my flawed self and that people who know me see my strengths and my weaknesses and they love me anyway like I don't have to hide or pretend to be better than I am or not get angry or you know not have a bad day like it's okay for me to have all of that as the wholeness of who I am and to trust that my friends and family and those people who know me will give me compassion and empathy and understand that I'm imperfect and also see the good parts of me and celebrate those with me. Um, so I think for me that's when I really feel like I'm belonging somewhere or to some group or society or family. It's my ability to show up very authentically and and be okay with me not being perfect. Mm-hmm. How about you? What it, What do you think about belonging? Well, it really started for me, even just thinking about yoga, you know, so yoga, the real meaning of the word yoga, the Sanskrit word yoga, um, has to do with, in a way, you know, belonging, because it's it's oneness and union, uh, binding back, uh, yoking, it has to do with that uh, root word um, in Sanskrit that means to, to bind back or to yoke. Um, and so in a way, uh, these the experience that you were talking about of feeling connection to that oneness to that you know the all of humanity that's bigger than ourselves and i think all of us have had that feeling in various ways that sort of peak experience feeling where we feel we feel connected to something that's much larger than ourselves and I have certainly had that experience in nature. I've had that experience in being with loved ones. I've had that experience in deep meditation, feeling that oneness. And and as I was thinking about belonging, I thought, well, that's my base feeling of belonging, that belonging to my essence of being and be having that be the expression that I have in the world, taking that off of the mat and and bringing that into the world. So that's one way I think I think about belonging. Do, do you, as you think about that, the, the deepest yeah. meaning of the word yoga, does that resonate with you? It does. I actually called a girlfriend this morning to talk about it um, because I, I, for me, this is a very profound question. You know, how do we get that sense of oneness? and not spiritually bypass all the suffering that's happening in the world, right? It's a very mm-hmm. delicate line to walk. And I think, you know, what I've ultimately come to is that if I accept reality as it is and kind of let go of my agenda and my expectations, I 
that's when I feel that oneness and I feel I belong. And the more agendas and expectations and you have to think like I do, the more isolated and lonely I feel. And so, you know, I'm, I am very careful not to do the spiritual bypass of let's all just sing Kumbaya and pretend there's no suffering. <laughs> but at the same Sorry. time, it, I, I think yoga is asking us to surrender to what is and and accept it as it is in this moment and still feel that connection and that oneness. And for me right now is feeling like an inflection point in that things are changing. It, I, I mean, I knew where I belonged for this past year before I got the vaccine. I knew I pretty much belonged at home uh, because I was concerned about my health and I was concerned about the health of those around me. So I haven't really been doing very much at all. And so that was clear. <laughs> that was clear. Mm. And then now it's a, it's a question again about, well, what should I do? We were talking about that a little bit before the show started about what do I feel comfortable doing now that I'm vaccinated? What's, what's safe for me now? And obviously not wanting to, um, overstate the safety that I feel from, from the vaccine, but also not wanting to, you know, being ready to come out of my hole a little bit. And so it, it has asked, it has had me asking this question about, okay, so where do I belong now? What's, what's the right thing for me now? And then it, thinking about, well, so how do we know that? How do we, you know, how do we, uh, how do we make those calls? So talk a little bit about how you do that. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's hard to even speak of because so many people have suffered so greatly. You know, there's a part of me that feels bad even having this conversation, knowing that, you know, even if we look at what's going on in India right now, yes. that they're just in the middle of complete crisis and trauma, you know. So that I don't know about you, but just first off, I feel a little bit like, wow, do, you know, do I even get to ask myself this question or should I still mm. be focused on the, you know, but I think we can have both. We can have compassion and empathy and send money and, you know, care about our friends who live in India and, and the United States, of course, and all over the world and start to understand that, you know, for many of us, we are going to get to emerge into the world. And I have a little bit different take on this. I think pre-pandemic, I was in the world too much. I, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm an introvert. I was overstimulated. My my health was not great because I was out of balance. And this last year in my house with my dog and my cats and my husband and being, you know, only in nature, we live out in the woods in a cabin, I realized that this is more the life that my particular body-mind system needs long-term to be sustainable and to do good work in the world. So I don't really plan on going back to anything like I had before. Mm -hmm. I'm restructuring my business and my life around being able to go out occasionally or maybe take one international trip a year instead of five. I'm really, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to go back to that kind of, busyness and, 
you know, fear of missing out kind of feeling. I, I like the solitude and the silence in my little mountain cabin. And this needs to be the foundation of my life with a little excitement here and there, you know. So I'm I'm really cutting back, actually, as a result of how I'm now feeling. Right. And that's exactly what I was reflecting on, because there have been a lot of changes for, for many of us, probably most of us over this past year. And as things are gradually just starting, I mean, it's just barely dawning this this kind of new day that we are going to have the post pandemic day. It's just at the very first few minutes after dawn here. But it, I think a lot of people are going to be asking that question. What what of the changes that happened over the past year are ones that I want to incorporate in some way? What part of my life as it was before the pandemic maybe doesn't quite fit me anymore? And that to me is the question of where do I belong? And to me, it, it touched on also the yoga principles of Dharma and Svadharma. So Dharma being righteous living, living in a way that we know, I, I guess it's uh, living from a moral code or, but it's also about your right place in the world and particularly Svadharma, which is your personal, like where do I personally belong? What is it that I am meant to be doing with my life? It's that it's that big question. And the Sanskrit word svadharma goes along with that. So it, it had me reflecting on this question of yoga and belonging. It seemed to me had to do with these questions of dharma and svadharma. So um, what when you think about that, when you think about dharma and you think about dharmic living, um, what what comes to your mind and how does that relate to what we've been talking about? Well, I've been in this beautiful class with an Ayurvedic teacher uh, named Ram Manohar. And I remember a few weeks ago in class, he defined Dharma and Svadharma, and I was so touched by what he said that I wanted to, to share what he said because I really re- resonate with it. He said Dharma means to not be in conflict internally or externally, a deep state of non-harming and happiness where you're basically in this flow of life. You're, you're allowing life to flow through you. And that, you know, if you're really being dharmic, um, there's going to be a deep sense of well-being, you know, that's sustained and, and long-term. So that, to me, goes back to what we were just talking about. How do I live in that state? And for me, I know I can't do as much as I used to do because I was not living in that state. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We've discovered how much we weren't in that state before. Exactly. And then, you know, when we look at Svadharma, you know, that's based on my mind-body-spirit vessel. How much can I do? Where can I be of service in a sattvic way while living in this flow of life with a sense of well-being, right? That before it was kind of like, oh, I have to get all this done. And now I'm like, no, I want to be in sattva and have that deep sense of well-being running through me. And then what can I do from that place? So it's been a, a, a real switch for me. And I am promising myself I will not 
forget this and let go of it mm-hmm. and just pop right back into my old ways. So you, you mentioned sattva a couple times. And for listeners who aren't familiar with sattva or sattvic, can you say more about that? Yeah, just living in a state of balance and harmony where I'm not feeling rushed or hurried or agitated or angry or impatient and I'm not feeling depressed or lethargic or lazy. I mean, we all have those fluctuations, but to structure my lifestyle in a way that I'm more in balance than I am, you know, angry, agitated, lethargic, you know, I really want to live from a place of feeling that deep sense of well-being running through me, which is what I call sattva. Mm -hmm. So sattva is one of the three gunas, which are what makes up everything in in the world. This is from a yoga perspective. And so those three gunas are uh, tamas guna, which is like a heaviness or inertia, rajas guna, which is like agitation or movement, and then sattva, which has a quality of luminosity, luminosity, lightness, peace, um, the other the other things that you were mentioning. And so there are, as we do certain things, uh, for example, being out in nature, you can feel a lot of sattva a lot of this luminous kind of uh, peaceful quality, or at least most places in nature, many places in nature feel that way. I'm just trying to connect it for listeners to perhaps some things that they may have noticed in their, in their uh, experience. Yeah. The two other words that come to mind are spaciousness. Like you Mm -hmm. feel very spacious instead of constricted or contracted. And then almost a feeling of lightness. Like you're kind of floating around a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the sayings that Rajin Davis, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda's, Rajin Davis was also the teacher of my teacher, Ellen Grace O'Brien, and and Roy um, would often say, do what you know you should do. That was probably the one phrase that I that I heard him say, perhaps more than any other. He was very down to earth. Um, and for me, doing what I know I should do has a component of getting quiet and listening to inner guidance that has been described as that still small voice within us. I think it's referred to that in, in the Bible, the still small voice within. So for me, this is easier. It's easier to tune into that inner guidance when I have a regular meditation practice and I can, it's not something I do during meditation, but then after meditation, when I'm perhaps in a more sattvic state of mind, I can hear, I can hear that inner guidance more easily so I can reflect on it and, um, that has been a helpful practice for me to try and figure out some things in my life. So what advice do you give to clients or students about how to tune into and follow their inner guidance? Yeah, for the way I see it, based on what I was taught by my teachers in India, is that pranayama or the breath is kind of the cleansing agent of the mind. And if we clean the mind through pranayama, what is left and what is the result is that ability to go inward and get still and listen. So it's not guaranteed that it's going to happen every day. You know, just because you do 24 rounds of alternate nostril breathing, you can, you know, 
tune into your inner guidance. It's not it's not that direct, but the more often we do breath and pranayama work, the more likely we are to get closer to that luminous, light, spacious feeling of sattva. And it's from that place that we're more likely to be able to hear the inner guidance for that still, small voice within. And there's some days when we're just too agitated. It does, the pranayama doesn't even make a dent, you know, and that's okay too. But I really, I think for me and the way that I teach, it's, you know, the breath while doing asana or yoga postures and then the breath while doing, you know, pranayama and then finding that stillness inside. Mm. That's, that's beautiful. So, um Perhaps now is a good time to talk a little bit more about pranayama, which I was going to do later in the conversation, but since you brought it up. So for those people who don't know how to do alternate nostril breathing, do you want to give a quick intro to that? Sure, sure. So we just take the the right thumb on the right side of the nostril and then the ring finger on the left side of the nostril. And the way that I was taught, we exhale only through the left nostril nice and long and slow to empty everything out and then inhale through the left nostril and then we switch sides and we close off the left side and we exhale through the right nostril long slow steady smooth and then slowly begin to inhale through the right nostril and then we continue and everyone goes at their own pace. So the next exhale through the left might be three seconds. It might be six. It might be ten. Mm. And then the inhalation similarly through the left nostril. And I even I, I use it as a way to clean clean the mind. You know, just continuing to go in that kind of eternity symbol back and forth. But I also kind of use it as an assessment to see where I am right now. Like, oh my gosh, my left nostril, I'm, I've got a three-count exhale. What's going on today <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of my normal 10? Or, wow, I cannot inhale to save my life today. So it's, it's very interesting to, you know, kind of use your pranayama as an assessment tool. And then, you know, after you've been going for five or seven or ten minutes, everything smooths out. And then and with that's that? when the cleaning yeah. And with that, we've come to the end. We'll pick it up again uh, after the break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. My guest today is Amy Wheeler, who is a yoga therapist, yoga therapy teacher, and professor of kinesiology at Cal State University, San Bernardino. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and I'm here today with yoga therapist, yoga therapy teacher, and professor of kinesiology at California State University, San Bernardino, Amy Wheeler. You can find out more about her at her website, amywheeler.com. You can also follow her on Facebook at Amy Wheeler Yoga or on Instagram at Optimal State. So, Amy, one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you back as a guest on the show was that I, I saw one of your Instagram posts that I really liked. Um, it was under the heading, uh, this particular post said, things that can be equally true. And at the top of the list was, you are resilient was on one side, and then, and you need a break. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that I think just hit me just perfectly that particular day, you are resilient, and you need a break. So would you say more about this? Because I, I really felt like uh, it captured something for me about this point in in my life and in this particular time that we're living through. Well, I mean, the ability to take breaks makes us resilient. That's what I've discovered this year, being at home mm. without a commute, without my fancy clothes without a, you know, running from meeting to meeting. This year, I've, I've gotten to stay essentially in, in yoga clothes. <laughs> and in between meetings, I can lie down on my bed and do 10 minutes of breath work. And I can nourish myself with a cup of tea and just sit quietly on my deck listening to the birds for a few minutes. Those activities, those little mini breaks all throughout my day, and I, I take five or six of them a day, mm. <laughs> um, that makes me resilient right mm, and mm. and when i wasn't taking the time to you know get a little bit of balance multiple times a day you know i always did my yoga practice in the morning but then it was game on till like you know six o'clock at night i was not as resilient i was much more reactive and you know not able to keep keep my balance or my sattva so i'm just finding these little mini breaks throughout the whole day whenever i can grab a few minutes here or there are just so incredible at helping me to be more resilient. How about you? Um, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's great advice. I know, I know there are people, if their kids are home, if they have young children and the kids aren't in school at the time, at this time, I know that that might be challenging and maybe that's something that they can do with the kids, even take the kids outside mm. and walk around the block, you know, for five yeah. minutes just to have a little bit of a, of a break and, and get everybody reset. So one of the things that I was looking forward to talking with you about is a yoga, uh, the way that the yoga looks at the body at, our, at ourselves, really, as having five sheaths. So the this is the Panchamaya Koshas, or the five sheaths. So the first is the physical sheath, the Anamaya Kosha. Then there's an energy sheath, the Pranamaya Kosha. Um, another sheath is our mental um, and emotional sheath, which has to do with uh, receiving the input from sense organs. It's a monomaya kosha. Then there's the wisdom sheath, gyanamaya kosha, and then the bliss sheath. So um, the when we we're right before the um, 
uh, break, we were talking a little bit about accessing our inner wisdom. And so that would be accessing this wisdom sheath, this, this uh, Yanamaya Kosha. Um, so when we think of resilience, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about is, is the idea or the um, insight from yoga that we each have this vital force, this, this prana that runs through our body in these channels or nadis. Because to me, so many of the yoga practices really have to do with getting that energy to flow, you know, smoothly. So um, obviously, when we say yoga, one of the first things people think about is yoga asanas, right? So when you think about yoga asana, and you think about resilience, and maybe even one more thing to think about is the sheaths. So what, how do you put that together? How do yoga asanas help us to be more resilient? You know, for a long time, I was not that interested in asana. I thought it was, you know, circus tricks. And But I'm really, <laughs> as I'm aging, I'm starting to understand that my mind and my spirit will not be able to do good work in this world if I don't keep my body in really good tip-top shape that, mm. you know, chronic pain and and illness can actually stop me from contributing and, and living my svadharma. So I personally, I've got a teacher named Gita Shankar in India. We meet on Thursday nights over the Internet, and mm. she puts me through the ringer and writes a daily <laughs> practice that I do, and it is hard. Like, I thought, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and I thought, Oh, she's going to take it easy on me. Oh no, <laughs> we are. She is, and that's her point. Is look, you have to be vital. You have to have a healthy body that isn't going to stop you from getting your work done. And so, I personally think that, you know, I I believe pranayama and meditation are, you know, the things we all need to be doing. But I also think we should look at is our body, you know healthy enough to to have that kind of resiliency and let the vital force run through. So, I mean, what I do every morning and what I tell my students to do is get up and walk and do some decent asana uh, to allow the, the obstacles or the blockages that are inside of all of us to kind of get nudged, nudged open so the product can mm-hmm. flow. You know? Yes. And I was, that's what I was going to, you know, point to that in my experience, at least, I know that I have chronic patterns of tension that I hold in my body and I hold tension to my shoulders. I hold tension to my jaw. These are unconscious things that just build up if I'm not paying attention. And for me, part of why asana is helpful and makes us more resilient is getting those, working through those blockages. So instead of me sitting the way I normally sit, and holding tension in my shoulder unconsciously and holding tension in my jaw um, to do asana, put my body in a different position and to do it consciously with, you mm-hmm. know, really paying attention to where my body is in space. It really opens up the flow of prana in the body that can be blocked by these chronic patterns of tension that I have. So to me, that's one of the the ways that yoga makes us more yoga asana makes us more resilient. And I agree with you. It's I think that meditation is my primary practice. I think that's the most the most important practice for me. And 
it's really important to also move our bodies and to move our bodies into a different shape than the one that we're in all the time, which has to do with uh, moving the spine in the six directions that typically happens in a, in a yoga class. You know, you're not just standing with your spine straight. You do a forward bend, you do a backward bend, you do side bends, you know, you do um, extend, extend through the top of your head. So you're getting a little bit more lift. Um, and uh, twists. So, you know, putting your spine through all that and doing it in a conscious manner, I think can really open up. And I think that's one of the reasons people feel so much better after they do that, is letting the prana flow more smoothly. Do you think so? I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And, you know, I, I think myself and some others kind of felt like, well, pranayama can do that. And, you know, meditation can move prana. And they can on very subtle energetic levels, but if there are very gross level tangible blocks like the muscle in your low back is completely seized up, it's like taking a a feather on a big boulder or stone or rock. You know, you have to meet subtle with subtle and meet gross with gross, so you you Mm -hmm. might need to do some low back stretches to kind of loosen that area up, you know? Yeah. For sure. So talking a little bit more about, about prana. So let's talk about, so where does prana come from and how do we get more of it in our life? So the way that, that I see it, and I know all yoga traditions are different, but um, number one, we're born with a, a certain amount of it inside of us um, that we can expend or kind of keep close to us and and depending on our lifestyle and how um, out of balance we get, you know, that that will increase or decrease. But then there's other ways to invite prana in, such as a bhyanga oil massage tends to, again, kind of open up blockages and allow the prana to flow smoothly, sunshine, um, fresh fruits and vegetables, water, um, connection with other human beings. There's there's many ways we can invite prana in. And I say invite because we can't demand. We can just be in the sun or give a hug to another person. And the prana has a, you know, an intelligence of its own. It, it will decide where to flow <laughs> at my invitation. And, you know, I there's some mystery to that. But those are the primary ways that when my prana feels very depleted and I have expended too much that I can kind of start to call it back inward and nourish me again. How about you? No, that I think that was a great, a great uh, list. So being outdoors, um, the sunshine and, and just nature, I think also mm-hmm. paying more attention to diet at times when we feel that we need to recharge because this whole idea about whole foods and having foods that are the closest to their natural form, I think has a lot to do with vitality, which is the way when you think about prana in food, think about what what brings you the vitality. So it's eating all of those foods that have all the different colors, eating as fresh as possible, eating, um, trying to avoid 
processed foods, especially heavily processed foods, that they may have calories still from a Western medical perspective. They still have fat grams and carbohydrate grams and et cetera. But when you look at them and look at the vitality that they have, I don't think anyone would say, oh, like look at a can of Insure, for example, or right. you know, something like a bag of Cheetos. Not that I'm picking on that in particular, but you know what I mean. You know, you look at that and the first word that comes to your mind is not vitality. <laughs> it's just really not. And I think Which, we have I mean, sense. You're, a, you're a medical doctor. It's so interesting to me that in hospitals, that's what, know. you know, people who are not well are getting fed. It's so interesting. Yeah. And I think it, I think it has to do with the fact that we don't have a vitality meter. We can't mm. put something through uh, like a, a CT scan or an MRI scan. We don't have a vital force scan that maybe some t- someday we will kind of like that uh, tool on Star Trek, you know, right, right. <laughs> Bones would just, you know, go up and down your body with this, you know, device and he could tell things. So who knows, who knows what may come because I do feel like since in yoga, and Ayurveda and in traditional Chinese medicine, there is this idea of energy flowing through the body. So is there an energy body? Yoga certainly says so. Traditional Chinese medicine says so. And I think that that these things have proven to be very useful for many thousands of years. And so I do feel like there is truth there that we can't measure right now. And unfortunately, right. Western medicine is caught in this thing where if you can't measure it, that it doesn't exist. And that's how you get a can of insure. <laughs> I think if you had mm-hmm. a if you had a, a pile of food, real food, that had the same nutritional value as as something like a can of insure, a can of I should just say nutritional supplement because there's other kinds besides insure. Um, that if you had the exact same amount of like broccoli and who knows some protein source, maybe some nuts, or if you're if you're um, still eating um, meat protein, you know, some kind of meat and nuts and broccoli and leafy greens, and they had the exact same nutritional content. And you asked anybody, like, which is going to give you more vitality? I don't think anyone would would choose the, the canned nutritional supplement. I think everybody has this intuitive understanding that there is vitality in food and that we get it, we can get it from that. So... Yeah, so, I, you know, you say everyone, but I, I, I'm just going to throw in there that, you know, having worked in the Department of Kinesiology for 25 years um, as a professor, they're very steeped in Western medicine and nutrition, which I agree with and support. And But they actually wouldn't answer. The, the people I know, the students and the teachers mm. I know, they would say there's really no difference. It's fine. <laughs> so I think we have a lot of education to do about life force, vitality, prana. And I think yoga has a lot to offer in that area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. So when we think about resilience, I was thinking about other ways, other practices from yoga that can benefit us as we think about how to build our resilience. So one of the things that came to my mind is the practice of equanimity, this practice, um, of non-attachment to a particular outcome and feeling calm in and being able to accept whatever comes. So 
what advice do you give students about how to practice equanimity? Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I think for for me and what I try to pass on to the students is whenever we're not feeling that equanimity, can we do some self-analysis, what we call svadhyaya, go inward and say, which of the kleshas or which of the causes of suffering is rearing its head right now? Is it attachment? Is it aversion? Is it ego identification? Is it fear? Is it misperception? And kind of, you know, work inward, even though there may be terrible things happening on the external, a lot of times we don't have control over that. What we do have control over is our own journey and our own self-analysis um, and staying equanimitous. You know, I had a situation not too long ago where I really got attacked kind of brutally on Facebook, and I was so happy that I didn't get sucked in and bite the hook. I, I was able to ask myself, okay, what are you feeling attached to, Amy? What, what What's the aversion here? You know, is mm-hmm. there any misperception? And And I was able to answer this person's, you know, strong questions with equanimity and I felt so light and free and good mm-hmm. afterwards all through the evening and the next day I was like wow it works <laughs> you know it's awesome that's awesome yeah it doesn't I can't do it all the time but in that moment I, I could and and that's what myself and I hope our students start to build upon how about you how do you practice equanimity Well, what I was thinking about is at the times when I have a steady meditation practice, it's easier for me. Mm, And for me, one of the things that happens when I have a steady meditation practice is a little space opens up, a little room opens up when I when something happens to me, that there's, whereas, if I don't have that, I can get triggered into some sort of a mood. Um, I can get angry, I can get sad. Um, and it happens almost automatically where if I have this meditation practice, somehow there's like a, there's like a, a space, a buffer that allows me to be more conscious. You talked about Svadhyaya, which is self-study, one of the three main practices of Kriya Yoga as laid out in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So obviously this very, very deep practice of yoga, this self-study practice. And what I've realized is I can, when I can have that space and I can see it, I can, it's, it's like it opens up a choice. It opens up a way that I can, I can decide a little bit more how I'm going to respond rather than just be throwing, thrown into the response. And so Mm -hmm. for me, my meditation practice is really key. And what I find is that if I am getting um, triggered and I'm not able to pull back from it a little bit and to be able to practice a little bit more equanimity, then it's a message to me that I need to, I need to get more serious about my meditation practice and make sure that it's regular and steady. And, uh, so it can be really useful, can be a useful sign for me of where I am and can mm-hmm. be a useful way to then turn and practice the self-discipline, the other practice of uh, one of the other practices of Kriya Yoga, in addition to the self-study, self-discipline of doing what I know I should do, um, which is the meditation. So, 
Mm-hmm. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about equanimity. I was also thinking about contentment because contentment is one of, again, one of the many practices of yoga that can be really useful to us to, which for me has a, a quality of also gratitude being able to mm. remember that there are things that I am grateful for, even if there are things that I'm not grateful for that are happening, you know, at that moment. How about you? How about you and the practice of contentment? I, that's something that I really, I just kind of take for granted, you know, like the days I am feeling it or not feeling it. But lately I've really been wanting to cultivate it more and and make it a bigger part of my life. I think being content and having gratitude for everything that we've been given is such an important part of our spiritual journey. And so I'm I'm really working um, to try to add more of it into my life because I, I've just in general felt pretty content, but I want to grow it, you know? Mm. And mm. so one of the strategies I'm using is to imagine, you know, I chant the Gayatri Mantra and imagine the the light in my heart and imagine it growing and spreading out to, you know, outside of my body to mm-hmm. everything and everyone and and feeling grateful and passing on safety and security and kindness through that Gayatri Mantra light that's coming out. So mm-hmm. that's been really um, a significant shift in the last couple of months to really consciously go there. It's mm. mm, lovely. So we've come to the last couple of minutes, and in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? I think this is the hardest question, right? That, mm. um, but for, for me, I think if we can have compassion for one another um, and have detachment, as you've been talking about, that ability to surrender to what is and go with the flow of life. I think just holding each other gently because it has been a really hard year, continues to be a really hard year, um, doing our best not to attack one another, you know, and just really hold each other gently right now. We, we need it as humanity mm. to, to move forward. Absolutely. And then talking about the light, this Gayatri mantra, which people I'm sure can, if they're not familiar with it, you could, uh, we could Google chant it, it too sure. at the closing. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we could, um, the, um, the, it's a Sanskrit chant and it has to do with that light, that light that is the source, the source of all and seeing, I, I love the practice. I also have practiced that, what you've said about seeing that light expand out of my body, seeing it expand in my neighborhood, seeing it expand in my state, in my country, seeing it expand around the world and holding that highest good, holding that thought for everyone, that light and that uh, compassion, kindness, acceptance, love, holding those for everyone. And then hopefully trying to live from that, trying to live from that place and seeing the commonality we have, seeing the essence that we have that's always the same. Um, I think it's a really is a really lovely practice. Yeah. And with that, 
we've come to the close of the show. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. I've been discussing yoga, belonging, and resilience with guest Amy Wheeler, who is a yoga therapist, yoga therapy teacher, professor of kinesiology at Cal State University, San Bernardino. Amy served as the uh, past president of the board of directors of the International Association of Yoga Therapists and has also been involved with the uh, um, National Ayurvedic Medical Association, or NAMA. You can find out more about Amy's teaching schedule at her website, amywheeler.com. Follow her on Facebook at Amy Wheeler Yoga and on Instagram at Optimal State. So, Amy, thank you so much for coming back on the show with me. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. It was a lovely conversation. For listeners, you can join me next time when I will be joined by the Yoga Hours founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, to discuss Kriya Yoga Living. We are going to be talking about how the practices of Kriya Yoga awaken the heart and reveal our innate divine qualities, such as self-restraint, generosity, humility, and perseverance on the spiritual path. For listeners, we also encourage you to join the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, including morning meditation, which occurs daily from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Pacific, afternoon meditation from 4 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific, and then Sunday satsangs from 10 to 11, uh, again, Pacific time. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Remember that you can subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, maybe tell a friend about it. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Mickey Coronado, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.